we're going to pray together and then at the end of the prayer we're going to do the Lord's Prayer in whatever language you would like. I love that idea that you do that together. So let's do that together. Let's pray. Creator God, you are holy. You are mighty. You bring salvation. You breathed and your creation came into being. You spoke through your prophets. You revealed to us through your son Jesus. Today we lift up your praise to you. We extol you. We worship you. Jesus, Redeemer and Friend, your love and compassion is freely given to us. You spoke words of healing. Your grace knows no bounds. We proclaim that you are King of Kings and Lord of Lords and we worship you today. Jesus, stand among us. Holy Spirit, sustainer and comforter, your breeze brings life and power. Your breath is fresh air and love to us. Come into this place today. Come into our hearts today and by your spirit unite us in faith and love. Give us understanding, wisdom and power. We give you thanks and praise. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, come. Be central to our worship, our conversations, our thoughts. Jesus, we ask you to come. Be central to everything that happens today. And as we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say to our Father, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. again in Isaiah 43. Do not be afraid for I have redeemed you.
So I wonder if you have ever been um, in the situation where there's been a big party or a big event and you missed, you weren't there. And it was so exciting and there was so much to be told that everyone was buzzing about it and they were telling everybody about it and they were saying how fantastic it was. But you missed out. Today we're going to hear a story about Thomas, one of the disciples. But before we get to that, I'm going to ask you about how easy it is for you to believe things. So I'm going to tell you a story. I actually have a star named after me. I've got a star named after me. Who of you believes me? How many of you think that I've got a star with my name on it? Excellent. I must have a trustworthy face or something, so I'm, I'm really pleased about that. So, I'm glad that you believe, but there might be some that are going, come on, Irene, you're kidding me on. There's no way that you can have a star named after you. And I might say, well, I'm telling you it's there, but you might not believe me. And then somebody else might say, come on, unless you show me proof, I'm not going to believe it. So I'm going to show you the proof. So this is my certificate to say I've got a star, and I need someone who's got really good eyesight and someone who can kind of read this out. This was actually a present from one of my kids at school. She, she named a star after me. How nice was that? So this was after. So, um, so this is the stars in the constellation of Columba, and there are millions of them. And there is actually, and you'll not be able to see it. I'm going to bring it around. There is actually a tiny, tiny wee red. Dot. Can you see it? There is a wee red. Yeah, that's my star. It's called Irene, uh, and it's in the constellation um, and of Columba. That wee, that tiny wee star there. But it's mine. Well, it's not mine, but it's named after me. Just that one there. That's there. I have a star named after me, and that is it there. Do you believe me? Yeah. Yeah? You believe me? Yeah? Did you need proof? Yeah, yeah, some people do need proof. Need proof. That's my star. That's my star there. Yeah? That's my star. That one there. It's called Irene. Good as that. Yeah, there you go. So, so there you go. Quiet, I really do have a star named after me. It's that wee one there with the, the red circle around me. The red circle is me. So there you are. So it's actually star number. Wait for it. Zero five five six zero two seven eight zero three eight four eight zero four five two. But I prefer to say it's Irene. So that's the, the name of my star. Now some of you believe me quite easily because maybe you think I've got a trustworthy face, or maybe you know me and you think, oh, she wouldn't tell a lie. Um, but Thomas was a disciple, and he was in the upper room with the disciples. And that day, Jesus had come among them, and Thomas missed it. He wasn't there. And the disciples were going, the Lord was here, we've met him, he's with us, whatever. And Thomas was saying, absolutely not. I'm not going to believe unless Jesus shows me the proof. He needs to turn up here and I need to see the wounds in his hands and his feet. And it took about another week before Jesus did turn up. And he brought Thomas the, the proof. 
Because when he came, he said to Thomas, he didn't even ask for Thomas to, to ask him. He just came in and said, look at my hands and look at my side. And Jesus said to him, you have believed because you have seen. But blessed are those who have not seen yet believed. So if you didn't know that you're in the Bible, you're in the Bible today. Because if you believed, what Jesus said was, we are happy, we are blessed because we believed, but we haven't seen. How cool is that? So we are Christians now who love Jesus, but we didn't have to see him in physical, but we know that he's there and we believe in him. So we are now in the Bible. So blessed are us because we believe without seeing. We're going to sing together and we're going to stand to sing. Um, let's go. We're going to stand to sing. <laughs> Thank you for each of the young people that are here today. We ask you that you would take their lives, that you would reveal yourself to them, and that as they learn of you today, that you would come close, that they would know you in a real and personal way. We ask for wisdom for them. We ask that you would put people round about them to love and care and nurture them in the faith. But Father, we just bless them today. We thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen.
The reading this morning is John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. Jesus appears to his disciples. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. Let me set the scene for you. The reading is from from John chapter 20. And this was the part where, remember, it was resurrection day. So it was the same day that Jesus had come to life and he had appeared to Mary. So he had appeared to Mary and then Peter and John, remember, went to the tomb and they saw the grave clothes. John believed when he saw the grave clothes. Peter was perplexed. We don't know what he was going through. But they went back to the upper room to be together. What would the mood have been in that day? 
Well, Mary was excited. She was absolutely overjoyed. She had met her Lord and she had seen him face to face. He'd spoken to her. He'd spoken to her by name. John had seen the grave clothes. He believed, but he was full of hope. He knew that something incredible had happened. And Peter had gone in. Remember, he rushed into the tomb. He was the one that got there first. But there's nothing to say what he was going through. And I think he might have been going between being perplexed, maybe excited, not wanting to give anything away. But they went back to the upper room. And what we find is the disciples are scared. They're absolutely scared. Did they believe Mary's story? At the end of the the part before, it says, they didn't understand the scriptures regarding the resurrection. So they were confused. They weren't sure what was going on. And I'm sure that they wanted to believe. So in John chapter 30, we read that they were in the room together and the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish authorities. Fear is a powerful thing. Sometimes it's rational. So if a tiger ran through those doors, we would be terrified, wouldn't you? And rightly so, because that gives us the idea whether we need to run or whether we need to fight. So fear can be a good thing because it gives you that idea of what is happening and it makes it very present. Sometimes it's exhilarating. Any of you know those people who want to climb out of of buildings and go down the side or come out of an aeroplane and fly out of an aeroplane? So they love the fear and the energy that that gives them. And sometimes it's in our own head, it's unknown. We don't know why we're fearful, we don't know why we're worried or we're anxious. And sometimes then it can be very debilitating. It can prevent us from facing situations head on. It might even make us retreat into ourselves. And because we're fearful, fear breeds fear, breeds fear. So our problems exaggerate, they get compounded, and sometimes we're in a worse situation than the first idea that comes into our head. So the disciples here weren't just afraid, they were scared. The Jewish authorities were reeling from the news that Jesus had risen from the dead, that he was alive, and they were on the warpath. They were going to try and find out who it was that had got, uh, started this trouble and bring them all together. They were really trying to get those people who were responsible. So trouble was brewing. And the disciples were together probably anticipating the door being burst open by the Roman soldiers to take them to prison, or worst. So they needed people to be there around them. And we respond to fear in different ways, don't we? So there were no adrenaline junkies in the disciples group. They were all together, they were all quiet, they were all staying together. What do you think is happening? That was amazing. We don't know what's going on. Some of them internalised fear. And sometimes we don't want to admit that we're fearful at all. So we isolate ourselves. And that's what Thomas did. Remember, he wasn't with the disciples. So the other disciples were together and they were comforting one another and they were together. 
And sometimes with fear, we respond by denying what we're feeling. Pretend it doesn't exist. Other times we look for comfort and encouragement from others. And that's where the disciples were able to do that for each other. So you had Mary who was excited. You had John who believed. You had Peter. You had the rest. So they would be encouraged one another, boosting them up, giving them hope. And it's important when we're together that we affirm one another. That we say, I understand how you're feeling. I've been there. I know what that feels like to encourage one another. So being together is really, really important when we're fearful or afraid. But what does it tell us about how Jesus responded to the fear? Well, first of all, it tells us that he comes among them. He's present with them. He comes into the midst of them. He speaks to them. What words does he say? He says this. Peace be with you. So he steps in the middle of the group who are all confused and perplexed and everybody's going crazy in their heads, what's going on, and he speaks peace. And when he says peace be with you in this context, it doesn't just mean stop being scared. It means may God give you every good thing. Peace be with you. May God give you every good good thing and that's what Jesus was doing for them at that very minute he was giving them the good thing his presence with them and what did he show them they showed them the resurrected Jesus the new changed body remember he appeared even though the doors had been locked Jesus was able to come in in the midst of them even though the doors had been locked there so he showed the new body that Jesus had the changed body the new creation, and he calms them down. What's amazing about this passage as well is that he shows his power. The proof of everything that he had said, and remember, for three years he had been telling them exactly what was going to happen, and what happened? Everything was fulfilled. And in that instance, when he appears to them, he can say, I told you I was going to die. I told you I was going to come back to life. Do you know what? Here I am. What is the result of Jesus' presence with them? Fear is dispelled. There's rejoicing. What does it say? They're overjoyed. Their hearts that were pounding and pending doom is replaced by hearts that are racing in joy and thanks. There was a complete change of heart. And when Jesus comes, when we're in fear, he calms us. He's present with us. He brings peace to us. And we can have a change of heart because his power is with us. The Bible tells us that love casts out fear. And Jesus is love. So Jesus was present. He was patient. And he was in control of the situation. So the disciples are all celebrating. Jesus is back with them. Everything's back to normal. Oh, thank you, Jesus, you're back here. But Jesus has other plans. So what does he say? He says, peace be with you. But this time it was probably 
I want your attention now. You're getting too carried away with things. But give me your attention. Peace be with you. I want all of you to know that you're in no doubt about what I'm going to tell you. So you can hear the hubbub, can't you? Dying down as Jesus quietens them. Peace be with you. Then comes the bombshell. As the Father sent me, so I send you. Remember, earlier that day, Jesus told Mary to go back to the disciples. And this is what he said. Go back to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Relationships were changing. The disciples were no longer servants, disciples, friends. They were brothers. And the relationship with the Father God was personal because of the resurrection. So when he says, as the Father sent me, so I send you, it's kind of serious. The same mission that God gave to his son Jesus was passing on to his brothers, to us as his church. The disciples could no longer be passive. Jesus was saying to them, you have to do what I have been doing. I need you to carry on my work. So the church, that's us, is going to be Jesus to the Jews and to the Gentiles and to the rest of the world. That phrase, God sent me and now I'm sending you, is sometimes called the charter of the church. And it means that Jesus needs the church. We are needed. Paul in Ephesians 1 and 1 Corinthians says that the church is the body of Christ. So Jesus has come with the message, but when he came, he was one man in a space of about 30 miles that he travelled round. And that message could only be within that area. He needed the church to take it as far and wide as possible so that everyone would know that Jesus is Lord. So unless the church does its job, then it's going to fail. And Jesus was saying, I need you. I need you. And he's calling you by name the way he called Mary by name. I need you. So the church as his body is not only a mouthpiece to speak for Jesus, but we are his feet to run his errands. We are the hands to do his work. We have to run into the dark places that others won't go. We are to feed and heal and share and respond. And he is depending on us to be as active as he was. So, Jesus needs the church. But don't we as the church need Jesus more? If you get sent out, you need someone to send you. You need a message to take. And you need the power for the message and the authority to back it up. And you also need someone to turn to when things are not going well. So in other words, without Jesus, the church has no message, no power, no one to turn to when they're up against it. 
nothing to enlighten their minds, nothing to strengthen its arm, and nothing to encourage its heart. But with Jesus, we have the message, all the power that we need. We've got someone to turn to when we have to and we're up against it. We have a Holy Spirit that enlightens our minds, that strengthens our arm and encourages our heart. The sending of the church is parallel to Jesus being sent out by God. So what does that mean about the relationship between Jesus and his church? If God was continually dependent on Jesus' perfect obedience and perfect love in the relationship between father and son, then it follows that if the church is to be God's messenger then it must submit perfectly and obediently to Christ. And there's a warning here for us. We are to proclaim Christ only. The church will only truly be faithful when we follow his will in his strength and in his wisdom and his guidance and not by our own agendas. How is it possible? I, for one, would be struggling to do this. Happily, the next verse tells us how it's possible. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus gives them a promise and he gives them a gift, the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus has spoken many times to the disciples about his spirit, his own spirit, the spirit which is his father's special gift to his people. And now the time has come for them to receive it. And he was giving them the gift not to have some kind of spiritual high or to make them a holy elite, but he was giving them the power, the drive, the courage to do all the things that Jesus did in his three years of ministry huge scale not just in Israel but to the ends of the earth wow I'm blown away by that, I don't know about you but it's just, that's incredible he is giving us the power to be able to expand his kingdom and it's up to us to do that the gospel was to be spread from the Jews to the Gentiles and by Jesus' spirit in the disciples and in us we have to implement the plan Jesus' followers were to be active in mission. And what was going to enable them to do it? Only the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was the only thing that would enable them to do the job that they could never dream of doing on their own. I love when it says Jesus breathed on them. In Genesis 3, remember when God is looking for Adam and Eve in the garden? It says that they heard him at the time of the evening breeze. So it was long um, known that breath of God was something that was there from the very creation. The words for breeze, for wind and breath are the same. And in Genesis 2 and 7, at the moment of creation, it says God breathed the breath of life into Adam's nostrils. And humankind came alive, came alive. 
And the same spirit that we have, we come alive in Christ. We are alive with God's life in us. By Jesus' death and resurrection, there was a new creation story. God was restoring life, making his disciples new people. And by the Holy Spirit, he was offering new life to the world. Now, the next bit is the hard bit, because it talks about us forgiving sins and retaining sins. And sometimes we want to skip that bit out, because it's quite uncomfortable, and it actually seems quite impossible. In verse 23, it says this, If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. And if you retain anyone's sins, they are retained. I'm sure the disciples felt the same as you and I. Are we willing or able to take this on? But Jesus wasn't asking them, do you fancy doing that for me? Would you like to do that? He was giving them a command. They were to go and do it. And it sounds, doesn't it? It sounds as though it's quite judgmental that we have the power to forgive sins. But what it's actually saying is this. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we are told to pronounce the message of forgiveness. (coughs) Which other religion or idea speaks forgiveness the way Christianity does, the way Jesus does? For all who believe in Jesus, we are totally 100% forgiven. And to retain sins, in other words, to warn the world that sin is a serious, deadly disease and that death is the consequence. We are to warn and rebuke, but not out of any sense of us being better than anyone or that we have more power or more authority but because we love the people around us, we love the world, we love the people that we are with. And because we love them, we need to witness to the destruction of God's creation and what's happened. When we see it being destroyed, it hurts us. So we have to speak truth into the situations that we're in day by day. Are any of us up to the task? Not one. But God enables us to do it by his spirit. So the disciples have seen Jesus. He came among them up close and personal. He speaks peace to them. He shows them the wounds on his body. And then he commissions them and he breathes life into them. Talk about good news. Their fears were quashed. They were overjoyed. Courage was growing in them. They were together. Thomas wasn't there. It seems to me that Thomas was probably a thinker. He was not a glass half full kind of guy. Remember when Jesus was going to Bethany after Lazarus had died um, and he was going into trouble and Thomas said this, let us go so that we might die with him. So this is not a man that doesn't have courage. He's not a man who's afraid. He undoubtedly loved Jesus because he was uh, prepared to go and die with him. But when all that had happened, he was brokenhearted. Thomas was a thinker. He'd heard all the things that Jesus had said. Jesus had told them that he was going to die, that he was going to, uh, be pro- he was going to be wounded, he was going to die. 
And Thomas had witnessed this. And he was a pragmatist. All the things that Jesus said had come to pass. And he'd seen them fulfilled. But he wasn't looking to the resurrection. He was only looking to the death of Jesus. So what did he do? Perhaps he couldn't have to be bared, to bear being with other people. Because when you're fearful, or when you're upset, or when you're broken hearted, sometimes you just want to hide yourself away. Maybe he was more of a pessimist. So when the Jesus told them that they'd seen the Lord, he was sceptical. Actually, I think Thomas is a kind of 21st century guy. He wasn't going to believe unless he had proof. And not only had he got eyewitness statements, that they weren't good enough for him. He wanted the physical evidence. And I imagine them remonstrating with the disciples. But I wonder in Thomas if there was a glimmer of hope. Interestingly, it took a whole week before Thomas had the encounter that he wanted. And what I find lovely about this passage is that when Jesus comes in, and again the door is locked and Thomas is with them, he brings the same greeting. Peace be with you. All good things to come. And then notice he doesn't wait for Thomas to ask him to show the wooden marks. Instead, Jesus invites him to put his fingers into the wound and his hands into the side of Jesus. And it doesn't tell us if Thomas actually touched him. But the fact that Jesus knew his doubts, that were in, the ones that were in Thomas's heart, deep within him, what did Thomas do? The only thing that he could do when Jesus was there and present and 100% present with him, full in his body, in his resurrected body, he responds with, my Lord and my God. Love and devotion flowed out from him. Thomas believed wholeheartedly. He might have been a glass half full guy, but there was no half measures when it came to his outpouring of surrender to Jesus on that day. He was 100% in. And what I loved about this as well is that Jesus didn't condemn Thomas. But he commends us. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That is us. How encouraging is that for us? And verse 31 says this. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And life is to be life to the full. So this morning, as believers together, let me ask you some questions. Are you living in fear this morning? Is there something that's troubling your heart? Is there something deep within you that maybe you can't share with someone or that you feel that you have to keep to yourself? Maybe you feel that you're not up to a task that you've been given. The Bible tells us and Jesus says it, I am present with you. Jesus is present. 
His presence is always in you by his spirit. And like the disciples, Jesus has breathed God's life into you. So you have everything that you need to overcome the fear. Change of heart. The change of heart. Secondly, are you living and worshipping in community? Being a lone wolf, distancing yourself or isolating yourself from the church family can be destructive for both yourself and for the church. The body of Christ needs every single part. And without you, it cannot work in harmony. And what did we find with Thomas? He had isolated himself and he missed out on that first appearance of Jesus. So for us as a community, in Hebrews 10 it says this, let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And that's what community is for, that's what church is for, so that we work together as a community by the Holy Spirit to take the word out into the world, but knowing that we have people that we can rely and depend and share with, and that we can be together, not only the church here in Hillhead, but the church in the rest of Scotland and Britain and Europe and the rest of the world, we are part of God's Uh, God's church, Jesus' body throughout the world. And we, each of us, has a, a place in that body. We have a job to do, and we are part of it. What part of the Great Commission has your name on it? Jesus breathed on the disciples. We have the Holy Spirit. We have it now. Allow him to guide you and enable you and empower you in the task that you have. And there will be a name on it that only you can do. Because you are one person in your family, in your work group, in your friendship groups, whatever clubs you belong to. You are one person, but your ability to move out and extend is incredible, but you are the only person that can do that because that's your group of friends and your family. And then someone else has to do it for theirs and theirs and theirs. And that's how we spread the gospel. Lastly, the Bible gives us lots of examples of God's love and power in action. These stories of encounters with Jesus didn't stop with the apostles. It didn't stop with the apostles. If we have a dynamic living faith in Jesus, then our stories can change lives. Ours. Our good news of the gospel is how God is active in us every day, in the mundane, sometimes the ordinary, and sometimes amazing ways that God leads us. And I am convinced that in the 21st century, when most people don't know the stories of the Bible, they don't even know about Jesus, they've not heard the gospel, they haven't read their Bibles, they've not been brought up in Sunday school. So they need to know the gospel, but they need to hear the gospel according to Irene, or Joyce, or Anne, or Richard. 
What's your gospel? What's your good news today? Because the impact of these stories are relevant and real to them. Not distant or just stories from a book that they don't understand, but they see it in your lives, in our lives. And they may be the answer to all of the Thomases that are out there. Maybe you're the proof of the pudding. Maybe you're the person saying, this is why I believe. And this is why you ought to believe. Because it's about what we are doing. Our gospel. I'm going to finish with this. My sister, is, um, she's, got, she's stage four cancer. Um, and she's been going along to the Beatson um, to get uh, uh, not chemotherapy radiotherapy um, she's a Christian uh, and just by her attitude and our day to day contact with people people are just becoming attracted to her faith they see that she's strong in her faith and they're attracted to that and last week um, two Fridays ago I took her to the Beatson for her last radiotherapy treatment and they've got a lovely tradition there um, when your treatment is finished you ring a bell, you pick a bell up and you ring it to say that that's the end of your treatment and everybody cheers and all that kind of thing, everybody's full of hope and the sound of the bell is the proclamation of hope now that treatment may or may not be successful but it made me wonder if Jesus' death and resurrection defeats the power of sin and death and we are living in victory we are victorious and we have eternal life then maybe we should be ringing the bell. Yeah? Maybe we should be ringing the bell for Jesus because we have the victory and all the things have been completed. It is done. Jesus said it is finished and we have the victory. So isn't that good news? So what's the gospel going to be according to us this morning? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you gave your son Jesus for each one of us. We thank you for his death and resurrection. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you fill us daily. That you give us the power and you enable us to speak words of comfort and strength and love to those around us. And this morning we pray that you would be full in our lives, that we would praise you every day, Lord. We would thank you for the mercies that are yours every morning. And today as we come to you, we proclaim you Lord of Lords and King of Kings. My Lord and my God, said Thomas, and that is our proclamation this morning. Continue with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to stand and sing when I receive the peace.
and Margaret's going to come and pray. Father, we all come before you this morning, each of us with a fear of some kind. You conquered your fear over death and the cross. Help us to overcome our fear, whatever it may be. May we as individuals reach out into our communities. Recently we saw community spirit during the bad snow, and we hope this will continue. Alas, at the moment we are seeing gun and knife crime in communities. Comfort those who mourn and be with those coping with this situation. We have many homeless people in society today. Guide us as what we should do. There are so many complex situations all over the world. It is hard for us to comprehend that you are in the midst of all of them. May we be led by your Holy Spirit in our lives to do thine will and accept thy grace, equipping us for your service. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Now take up your of this church in this community and we pray that the gifts that have been given are not only gifts of money but gifts of our lives and our hearts and we offer them to you in grateful thanks for all that you've done for us in Jesus name Amen Let's complete the service by singing Christ is alive Let's stand to sing
Let's say the blessing together. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.